Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. How can we become more aware of ourselves while also becoming more aware of others and becoming more compassionate? It may sound like a lot, but actually it is more attainable than you may think. And in today's show, I am interviewing Scott Shute. Scott is the head of mindfulness and compassion programs at LinkedIn, and he has recently released a book all about getting yourself to feel better, be better. It's called The Full Body Yes, but we go into so many things on today's interview. I am thrilled and excited for you all to hear it. It was an amazing conversation. Let's dive in. There is a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual attraction, or as us insiders like to call it, the pies of attraction. Join me, Kimberly Beam Holmes, and special guests as we discuss how to become the most attractive that you can be in all four of these areas. Let's get started. So how did you get to be LinkedIn's head of mindfulness and compassion programs? How is that even a job title? Sure. Right. Right. That's pretty awesome. So first of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I have had a career as an exec and I got to LinkedIn. Uh, I was the VP of global customer operations and leading a team of, you know, a thousand customer service people. And, and, um, since I was 13, I've had a practice in mindfulness and contemplation. I've been teaching since I was in college. But I've always kind of, you know, covered that part of my life. It's not something I talked about at work ever until I got to LinkedIn. And uh, about two years into LinkedIn, you know, I realized, wow, what an open place, right? Our CEO is talking about his own practice using Headspace. He's talking about compassion and leadership. And I thought maybe this is a place where, you know, I can bring my practice and just like lead a meditation. And so that's how I started. Like one Thursday at 4.30 in the heavenly conference room. I thought that was auspicious. <laughs> I, I led my first session and uh, there was one guy there. <laughs> and I'm sure that he was just as terrified as I was because I never saw that dude again. And then, <laughs> right. And then the next week there were three. And then the next week there were five. And then it turned into a regular thing. And then people knew I did it. So I'd get invited to bigger things. You know, like we'd have a marketing offsite uh, and there'd be, you know, 400 people and they do breakout groups of like 80 people at a time. They, Scott, come do your meditation thing with these guys. I'm like, sure. Or the CFO would have a summit with three or 400 people and I'd kick off the summit with a meditation. So I kind of became known as the, whatever, the meditation exec. And which was the intention because now my at work person was my, the same person who is at home too. And then, uh, so I did that for three or four years as a volunteer. In fact, I was the, I'd raised my hand to be the executive sponsor of our mindfulness program. We didn't have one. And so myself and a few other volunteers created one. And then for me, the turning point was our CEO at the time, Jeff Wiener gave the commencement address at Wharton mm, three years ago. 
And he talked about compassion. You know, if you're going to be successful in life or in business, be compassionate. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. That's a very public place, right? Wharton. And then next time he's on TV, this is all the reporters want to talk about compassion and leadership. And I was thinking, okay, it's time for me personally to invest my career in this. It's also time for LinkedIn to invest in it because look, if we say that compassion is the most important thing you can do, and then 16, send 16,000 people back to their desk, like, what does that mean? Mm. And so I made a pitch to Jeff and to our head of HR and essentially with their great support, created this role with a blank sheet of paper uh, a couple of years ago. Wow. Okay. So 16,000 people at, at LinkedIn. Yes. And so what does the mindfulness and compassion programs look like now at LinkedIn? Yeah, sure. So two parts to my job. The first one is mainstream mindfulness. The second one is operationalized compassion. And I report now into the learning and development team. And so I'm creating and delivering workshops about growth mindset, about compassion, about, um, you know, building resilience, that sort of thing. But in the mainstreaming mindfulness piece, we're just trying to make meditation. Let's think of it as like mental exercise, just as normal and mainstream as physical exercise. Mm. Um, so it's, you know, we offer not just me, but around the world, you know, 40, 50, 60 meditation classes every week, different flavors of them. We have a speaker series. We have drop-in community groups. Um, we have every. We give everybody access to an app called Wise at Work, uh, which is a meditation app. It's more than that, but it's designed pe for people who are working. And then every year, usually in October, we have a 30-day challenge <laughs> and encourage people, you know, to use it. And never underestimate the power of a free hoodie because this year we had you know <laughs> nearly two thousand people uh, take up the challenge and a good number of them complete the challenge. So wow, it's good stuff. That's yeah. awesome. So define mindfulness. Sure. Define meditation or no? Oh yeah, yeah. Define Two mindfulness. Define meditation and define compassion. Okay. All right. So mindfulness, I think of as a bridge word for awareness, right? A, a big bucket of words. It basically means I'm more aware. I'm more aware of myself. I'm more aware of surroundings and the people around me. Mindfulness or medi uh, sorry, meditation is a way to be more mindful. You can think of meditation as a mental exercise. And it could be I sit down and I do breathing or I do whatever I do. There's a hundred different types of you know meditations. And then compassion, there's a lot of good definitions for compassion, but here's mine. I think it's the capacity, it's three things, the capacity to have awareness of others, a mindset of wishing the best for them, and then the courage to take action. Hmm. And so they fit together because when I'm more mindful, I'm more aware first of myself, but if I can be more aware of myself, then I'm more aware of others. You know, and if I, you know, if I like myself better, if I have self-compassion, then I'm probably more able to be compassionate for others. And if I have more self-control and do more to kind of be in control of my life, then I can take action for others. So they're totally interrelated. One is about self and the other one is about the we, the me versus the we. Mm -hmm. And how do you get people to get on board with <laughs> being mindful sure. and doing sure. meditation. Sure. Well, again, we think of it kind of like physical exercise and the gym, 
And, you know, I mean, there's so many, there's so much science about physical exercise. Everybody knows that physical exercise is good for them. Not everybody does it, right? <laughs> Same thing with mindfulness, right? Think of it like mental exercise. So many, you know, so much science that says it reduces stress, reduces anxiety, increases creativity, all that good stuff. But again, not everybody does it. So our, I feel like my job is to mainstream, just to make it available to the point where if somebody asks you, hey, Kimberly, what are you doing after work? Like, oh, I'm going to check out the 5.30 meditation class. And everybody goes, yeah, cool. Just like you'd said, I'm going to go to Zumba or TRX or go running with my friends. So we just try to make it a steady drip so that people take advantage of it. And some people, as you might guess, are totally early adopters and they're gung-ho. And some people are like, what? <laughs> what? what is this? You know, And some of them come and join and I had one young woman who, who saw me in the hall and eventually we got to her story and her story was, she's like, look, I used to think this whole mindfulness stuff was just a bunch of BS. Well, she said it in a more colorful way, <laughs> <laughs> but, but she said, you guys did this challenge last year, right? This 30 day challenge. And I love a good challenge. So, and my friends were doing it. So I signed up too. And now I'm on over day 400 of my streak, you know, using the app. Oh my goodness. Right. And she said, no, no, that's, and I actually, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. She said, no, no, that's not the good part. The good part is this, this morning I gave a presentation, an eight minute presentation in our all hands meeting. And for her, that was like 80 people. And she said a year ago, I never, and I mean, never would have signed up to do that. And she talked about the changes that had happened in her life of how she had changed. And she said, look, even this morning I was freaking out, but I went into a conference room and I did my breathing and I went out there. And I crushed it. And I was thinking, yeah, this, this is why we do this work, right? Not only did it make her feel better, but it made her better at everything, better at her self-confidence, better at her job. Hmm. What does your mindfulness practice look like? Ah, so COVID has helped, <laughs> to be honest, because hey, look, I'm not, I'm one great. Thing. <laughs> exactly. Because I'm not commuting anymore. And yeah. so now I have a pretty good practice where I still wake up at the same time, but I go outside, rain or shine under my big oak tree here in California. Um, and I spend about 25 to 40 minutes and I do a variety of things. I have a practice where I use uh, a mantra. And so I sing a word for um, five or 10 or 20 minutes. I do some affirmations. I do some noticing. I might do some... Uh, manifestations of things I want to have happen in my life. And sometimes I just listen, right? And I listen to see what that deeper part of myself or what the universe wants to, wants to tell me. There's a conception that meditation and mindfulness is about not thinking. Ah. So everything you just said, all the ways you meditate. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you may be thinking about something. Can you tell totally. us more? Tell us more about the different ways people can be mindful. Sure. For sure. I, I practice definitely, I would actually call it contemplation, what I do, mm. um, because I practice a very active, uh, my, mine is a very active practice. I would say that even people, even people who practice just the noticing, it's not that you're trying to not have thoughts and it's not that you don't have thoughts. Like that's almost impossible. Mm -hmm. It's just that we become less slaves to our thoughts, mm -hmm. right? We, we, we can notice our thoughts and just kind of let them move away. Kind of like noticing a cloud and just letting it move away. Um, but what I do is very active. Mm -hmm. 
And so there's, again, there's a lot of different variations and types of things that people do. Um, Some people are meditating and they don't even know it, (laughs) you know? So like people go fishing or people have hobbies or people are in prayer. They're saying the rosary. These are, they're not all exactly the same. I'm not saying that, but they're all flavors of, you know, slowing down our nervous system and becoming calmer. And there's some ways that are a lot better than others or more effective. But what I tell people is, you know, you know what the most powerful type of meditation that you can do is I'm like, what, what, tell me. I'm like, yeah, I'll keep ready. Ready. You're going to write this down. Yeah. It's the one you'll actually do. <laughs> Which is what they say about exercise. The exactly. This is the one you'll do. Exactly. Yeah. And, and people ask like, what's the best type of exercise? Like, really? Like, I mean, which is better running or swimming or biking or right. yoga? It's the one you'll do, the one you like, the one that speaks to you. And the same is true of these practices. Hmm. So then it, it doesn't necessarily have to look like me sitting there for 10 minutes and in complete silence. With, no, in fact, can, I, in fact, I don't recommend that for starters because that is extraordinarily hard. It's very uh, hard. <laughs> it's very, very hard. hard. So then what do you, so what do you recommend for people starting in as a way to get, get their feet wet and love it? So very basic start is I recommend an app, you know, and there's a ton of them. So Headspace, Calm, Insight Timer, you know, some are paid, some are not. Insight Timer, as an example, has tons of free content on there. Probably, I don't even know, 20,000 different teachers. So my point is you can find so many different things to find the thing you like. And in the beginning, it's really helpful to be guided by someone else, you know, so you go on there and you try 10 or 15 different things. Uh, And a lot of these apps also have um, built in gamification, you know, (laughs) and look over the long term, if you've been doing this for 30 years, you don't need gamification, but when you're starting, you totally do right. Like this woman who had the 400 day streak, Mm. I'm sure there were days at 300 something where she's like. I don't feel like it today, but she did it because she didn't want to lose her streak. And then when you build that habit, then, then you don't need someone else to guide you. You can start to do your own thing. But in the beginning, it's, it's like training wheels and a bike, you know, find an easy bike to ride, find the training wheels, get somebody to help you. And then eventually you ride by yourself. Do you do the 20 to 45 minutes a day because you love it or because you're making yourself? (laughs) Um, it depends on the day. (laughs) (laughs) Always different. (laughs) Yeah. So usually look, here's the thing. I always feel better when I'm done. Yeah. And some days before I start, it's kind of like exercise. There's some days where it's like, Oh dude, I don't feel like biking today, but I know that when I'm done biking, I'm going to feel better. Mm -hmm. The other thing is what I know or what I notice is if I find in my life, like the wheels are coming off, like I'm having a bad day, not because stuff's happening to me, but the inside my head stuff is happening to me. And if I step back and I'm honest with myself and I ask myself, Oh, have you put in the work? The answer is always, or almost always no. Mm. Like I've missed a day or I haven't done it with as much, you know, enthusiasm or I've been half, uh, you know, half-heartedly doing it. (laughs) So for me, I notice when I don't, and I just, I'm a much, much, much better version of myself when I do it. Mm. 
which then makes you want to do it, even which then makes me want to do it. Right. So, so we can either be motivated towards something or away from something and either's fine. And it kind of depends on the day, which one I'm using. Mm, That's so good. Okay. Let's talk about how this relates to compassion. So you said before that being mindful gets us to calm down, see things better, which can help us be more compassionate, but why this sounds like such a silly question. I'm going to ask it anyway. Please. Why is compassion important? Yeah. Well, that's okay. Those are two, two great questions. Okay. First, let's talk about the mechanics, like what's going on that allows us to be more compassionate. Oh, yes. Most of the time we're just reacting, right? So if somebody's in front of us, whether they're our spouse or our kid or the person driving behind us or ahead of us, we're just reacting to whatever they say, to whatever they're doing. We're not really thinking about it. We're just reacting. And when we're reacting, oftentimes that's not great, right? Because we come up with some response that's not super helpful. We shout back or we do some obnoxious thing back. And then later, only later, usually we realize, wow, that was not a version of myself that I'm very impressed by. Mm. So, so mindfulness allows us to slow down and first be more aware of ourselves, right? Aware that some days we have better days than others. And when we put in the work, we can have more of those better days. And when we're more aware of ourselves and the challenges that we have, we realize the same thing is true of everybody else around us, right? We can start to, we can start to be aware that what this person is saying may or may not have anything to do with me, right? If they're shouting, it might not be because of me. They just might be having a bad day. So in other words, we build this awareness of the other person. And if we can recognize them, then we can, we can say, okay, well, I can see you in this way and I can, I can have a little heart, right? I can be the, have the mindset of wishing the best for you. Now, why does that matter? Okay, well, in the same way that mindfulness matters, And it matters because when I do my practice, I'm a better version of myself, right? But I don't live or work in isolation. I live and work with other people. So if I have compassion for someone, um, it makes everything about our relationship go better, right? It makes, uh, because think about those three things. I'm aware of them. I have a mindset of wishing the best for them and the courage to take action on their behalf. So if it's my spouse, I'm going to have a better relationship with them. If it's my kid or my neighbor, better relationship with them. If it's my customer in the workplace, this too, I'm going to be more aware of them. I'm going to wish them the best and the courage to take action. That means I'm going to deliver better products for them. I'm going to deliver a service that's more valuable for them. So because we live in the broader world, when we do these two things, first, we we rise ourselves up and then we seek to rise everyone else up. It just makes the world a better place, starting with ourselves. So is there, other than mindfulness, are there other compassion exercises <laughs> that people can do to build sure. more compassion? Sure. There are, there are things which look like meditations, which are about compassion. So just even a simple one like self-compassion, everybody can do this at home. If you're brave, come on, you're brave. You can put your hand on your heart. And you can say your name followed by, I love you. That's, that's a self-compassion practice. You can do that when you're brushing your teeth or makeup or shaving in the morning. That's a really powerful way of building ourselves up. You can do that as a meditation or a contemplation or a set of self-talk. 
you can do a meditation or contemplation thinking about someone else and just sending them your goodwill, even people that really annoy you. <laughs> you can you can do that. Those are things that are more meditative or contemplative in nature. But compassion practices are things that we already do every day. I call them micro compassions, which is kind of like the a difference that or an opposite of microaggressions. Mm. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It's things like listening. And I mean really listening, you know, not looking at your phone listening or watching TV listening, but like really holding space for someone else. Because I think one of our deepest held needs as a person is to be seen and heard and recognized and ultimately loved. But it starts with that seen and heard part, right? And just listening to someone else provides that. Um, anything that builds connection. So you're standing in line at the grocery and just, just saying hi, right? Instead of just standing there looking at your phone, like start up a conversation, build community. I guarantee that person's going to walk back to their car, or whatever, feeling better. Mm-hmm. Or you notice something about someone. It's like, oh, hey, I like your shoes. I like your watch. Uh, I, I appreciate what you said in the meeting last week. Or I really appreciated that you did this for me yesterday. Just these simple acts are ways that we move away from me to we, right? We move away from just thinking about what's in our own head or on our own phone, usually. And think about the other person. Like, okay, what can I do that will lift us both up. Mm. Do you encourage people to do phone fasts or times throughout their day where they are without their phone? Sure. I think, I think that's great. Uh, that is very hard. I think there's, I think there's definitely some practices like turn off all your notifications, right? Mm. It's especially if you have wearables, right? I, I experienced this in my own life. If my watch is buzzing every three seconds, like, wow, we have no attention span when that's happening. But do we really need to know if somebody just liked my Instagram post? Like, do I really need for my watch to buzz when that happens? Probably not, right? Mm-hmm. So turn off, turn off all your notifications and you be in charge of your own schedule then, right? And so if you're in charge of your own schedule, then probably you can reserve a couple hours a day just for you whether that's during the workday or, you know, during your off time and really make it about you. And that about you means you don't need your phone during that time. You don't need a notification to see if somebody liked your Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn post. Coming from someone working at LinkedIn. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, especially after this past year, to some extent, there's been some negative connotations with social media and LinkedIn, I don't think is the worst offender by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but still you're in that world. And so how, how do you balance those two things of working with social media and also wanting people to not live their life on it? Well, so a couple of things. So we are very proud that for the last, I don't know how many years exactly, three, four, five, maybe they do these trust awards about companies that are trusted. And LinkedIn is the top of the list every year in terms of internet companies. So we're very proud of that. And our, at the root of what we try to do, our number one value is members first, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so this is compassion, right? Moving from me to we, because we know that if, we, if our members like us, then we'll have business over time. If they don't, then we won't. So our goal is to provide as much value in as short as time as possible. Like we don't measure as a success measure, the time you spend on LinkedIn. We don't want you to spend that much time. 
Now, we'd love for you to come a lot, but only if you're finding value, right? If you're truly finding value. If we've just like tricked you into coming, like that is for sure not what we are all about. And this shows up in um, in the way, as an example, when we talk about how do we operationalize compassion, you know, that's part of my job. This already happens, not, not what I do. I'm just like recording it. But as part of our product review, you can think of this like Shark Tank without the attitude. <laughs> you know, if a new product manager or product manager is coming with a new version of their product to the executives, like, Hey, here's what my product's going to do in the next rev. And uh, they're presenting and something like, Oh, we'll do this thing. It's going to generate 13% more engagement. If they don't answer the question, the first question is always, okay, well, what about the member experience? Like what's the member experience like? And if the answer to that is, well, did I mention it was 13% more clicks? <laughs> the, the meeting just stops, right? And it's like, <laughs> no. And then it becomes an object lesson in our first value, which is members first. And they get to go try again. And I guarantee you, they don't come back without have thinking about that, you know, the next time. So we're trying to build it into the way we do it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You talk about in your book, the full body, yes, First of all, this phrase, the full body, yes, which we haven't even unpacked yet. So what, what does that mean? Why is it the title of your book? Sure. The full body, yes, is when we are fully aligned, right? When like you just know something in your bones, there's, there's zero part of you that is against it. Like you just know. Mm-hmm. Now, look, sometimes that happens when you're reaching for the breakfast cereal and it's like, <laughs> oh, am I, I going to have yogurt or am I going to have toast or whatever? And you just like, oh. Clearly I'm having yogurt, whatever. But to me, it's most poignant when you've been struggling with something, right? Should I start this relationship or not, or end this relationship? Should I start this job or end this job? Should I do blah, 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 blah. And we're torn, right? Because this happens to us a lot. And then finally, at some point, we just, if we're lucky, we just know, like we just know the answer and every fiber in our being is aligned. That's what I mean by the full body. Yes. And it happens when we're aligned with our values, but also every piece of us, our intuition, our history, our body. Um, so that's what I mean by it. And there's lots of ways to, you know, go get it. So how do you go get it? Yeah. <laughs> now we have to tell us. We've got to go. Yeah, sure. Well, look, part of, part of it is having a practice, right? So if you have, as an example, if you have a mindfulness practice and you're building your own self-awareness. And there's lots of ways to get self-awareness, but mindfulness is one of them. If you have a practice of building your own self-awareness, then you can start to see the things that tear at you that aren't part of the full body yes, right? Like if I'm making a decision, but I'm making a decision not based on what I know is true inside, but what what other people are going to think about me or what Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn, what I think people are going to think about me, right? This I'm searching for external validation. But instead, I build this inner strength um, and I, I build happiness from the inside out. Like this exercise we did where we put our hand on our heart and say, I love you. That's a way of building that inner strength that does not require a like on Instagram to you know, boost my happiness. That comes from the inside out. And then just getting in tune, right? Getting in tune with that deepest part of yourself. It, it, you know, at, Look, at work, everything I talk about is totally secular. But uh, I do believe in the spiritual as well. And everybody has a different translation of what that looks like. 
And so when you're deeply in tune with that thing, right, then, then, then the magic happens <laughs> for the full body. Yes. When you are, so basically you're looking for alignment. Yes. And then that it's kind of, I have this picture in my mind of going to a chiropractor uh-huh. <laughs> and they yeah. put you into alignment and everything exactly. starts to get in. And then it's like, Oh, this is clearly the next yes. step to go. Yes. And for me, this, sometimes it happens like an, it can just happen. Like a situation will just happen. And it will just like, as an example, when I was interviewing for this job at LinkedIn, which is now, you know, nine years ago, mm-hmm. I got the call from a recruiter and I loved my previous job. Like I didn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. And on the surface, this LinkedIn job sounded like more work and less money. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm on this, you know, didn't, I didn't mentally, it didn't make any sense. Yeah. And I was on round three or four of the interview process. And I woke up one night in the middle of the night, 1.30 in the morning, wide awake. And that was it. I wasn't going back to sleep. And I just knew, I'm like, wow, I'm, for, I'm supposed to take this LinkedIn job. You know, and uh, mentally, mm-hmm. it didn't make that much sense until later it started to make sense. But I just knew. Now, sometimes it just is that feeling where it's, it just overcomes. And sometimes we go get it. Here's, here's another example of how people can do it. So think of a, uh, a decision you have to make in your life, preferably one with just two options. It can be more, but two options, let's say A and B, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody can think about this while we're doing it. It can be really something really serious. Or it can just be, you know, what you want for breakfast, but you think of A and I kind of close your eyes and you really think of A and like, imagine you've already decided that you've chosen A and it's part of your life. And you're starting to think about what it's like to be A you know, and what everybody, every, how, how your life is going to be. And then take a deep breath in and a deep breath out, let it go. And then you think of option B and then you imagine you've already chosen option B and it's part of your life. You kind of fast forward, like, this is what my life is. This is who I am. And you really let it kind of sink in you take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And then like, which one of them felt better? This for me always works, but I can't explain it. Mm-hmm. So how does that work? So there's something going on that's beyond science where are, there's something in our bodies or something we're connected to, which knows. And if we can get the mind out of the way, we can, we can hear that part. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read the book, How We Decide? No by Jonah Lehrer. So I am a super indecisive person. And even as I've been hearing you talk, I'm thinking of all these times where I've been in this situation. I don't know which to choose. And I was always really hesitant to trust my intuition or to trust my gut because what if I was wrong? But even in that book, he, he actually approaches the subject from a neurological point of view. And he says, actually that intuition we feel is really a combination of things you know, you're just That's not right. conscious that you know. Exactly, exactly. So it's I like, totally backing um, what you're saying. Totally. There's uh, a book, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. Mm-hmm. It's about how we make in- instinctual choices. And I think it's in yeah. the same vein. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yes, absolutely. So other things that, that you have talked about is how to, or figuring out how to zero in on strengths 
Mm. And therefore empower yourself probably to help make decisions and and do the things, help make the decisions that we want to do. Right. How do you encourage people to find what their strengths are? Yeah. Well, there's a couple pieces in here. One is kind of an emotional piece in that um, oftentimes we focus on what's wrong. Mm. (laughs) You know, like you get a performance review and there's five pages of, hey, here's the stuff that did great. And here's two sentences about what you could do better for next time. We almost always focus on the two sentences of what we can do better. Mm -hmm. And I think it's much more powerful to think about the five pages of what went right and how do we get more of that? Right. So part of it's just this mindset shift and like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to my strengths and I might have these weaknesses. I'll figure those out later, but I'm going to focus on my strengths. So that's one piece. It's just this emotional component. The second is you probably already know, right? You probably already know the things that you love. And so as an example, I, I love playing guitar. I love music, but I also knew that I knew pretty early that I wasn't going to try to make a living at it just because I knew the odds were long and I didn't want to be poor <laughs> and I, I wasn't, I wasn't obsessed with it enough to, you know, to live out of my suitcase and try to make it happen. But, but there's an element, like if I want to make a career out of that, what are the parts of playing music that I like that are still relevant to a career? And for me, that was performing. I'm air quoting that because it's at a big level, but like public speaking is something I'm very good at and I love and I've honed that craft. And there's a part of my music experience that is the same as my public speaking experience, right? Mm. And so for each one of us, we have a set of hobbies or we have a set of things that we really love to do. Uh, and it's, it's fine tuning those things. Mm. Like, okay, well, you may say, well, I love crocheting. And yeah, that's probably pretty hard to make a living as a crocheter. <laughs> probably. probably. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that do it, but for most probably. of us... Probably. Right. But what are the other skills? Oh, well, I'm really good at whatever. I'm a detail oriented, right. Or I'm good at, at following directions or, or whatever those skills are that we're really good at. We take those same skills and apply them to work. There's this concept called Ikigai, which is a, a Japanese concept. And there's, it's the intersection of four circles and the four circles are what I'm good at, what I love to do, what the world needs and what someone will pay me for. Hmm. Right. And if we can get closer and closer and closer to the center of the bullseye of those four circles, you know, then we're essentially aligning with our values and essentially aligning with our purpose. It's not easy, but that's the, that's the task. Mm -hmm. I love that concept of, taking a step back and saying, if these are the things that I love to do or that I'm good at, but why, why do I love yeah. them? What are the aspects of them I'm good at? And then allowing that to apply to other areas. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The couple more questions for you before we end, I could ask you so many questions. Um, crucial questions to ask yourself when reevaluating fulfillment that you oh. get from doing something in your life. When I saw this, I thought I have to know them. (laughs) Sure. So I think evaluating fulfillment, you know, I talk in the book about sometimes we're climbing the wrong mountain, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like I hear stories. I sometimes coach people that, you know, what are they going to do? Oh, well, they're going to go take a job in New York to be an investment banker or a consultant. 
Mm-hmm. And they're going to hate that job. They tell me they're going to hate that job. They're like, yeah, I'm going to work 100, 120 hours a week. I'm going to hate it. But five years from now, like it'll all pay off. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. So my, my question for that is, how are you keeping score? Mm. Right. And are you keeping score just by money? Cause if that's true, like is money, the thing that is literally buying you happiness? Cause that's not true. <laughs> we think it is sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the stuff you buy with your money, is that really buying happy? Like instead of chasing the thing that chases the thing that chases the thing that chases the thing that leads us to happiness, let's just go to happiness directly. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it comes back to what are your values? What do you really want? And, and if I ask you, I ask people, oh, what do they want? Oh, I want to have this job. Why? Well, I want to make this amount of money. Why? So I could buy this stuff. Why? So people will like me. Why? So I can be happy. Oh, <laughs> or you just go right to happiness. So then my, then if one, if your values, if we broke them down into their highest order, it's usually something like, I want to be happy. I want to have relationships you know, these core things. And so then I say every choice we make, measure it against your values. And is the choice getting you closer to your values or further away from your values? Mm. That's where I would start. And that's not something that's going to happen overnight. I mean, figuring out your values has got to be, shoot, probably something you should meditate on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it can be. I think if, if you wrote down, it doesn't have to be complicated. You can write down, just start writing a list of things you care about, Mm. right? What are the things you care about? And usually it comes down to these high level things, Mm -hmm. relationships, things like trust, things like, um, honesty, you know, if, Another way to discover your values is think about um, the peaks and valleys in your life, mm. right? the, the top, the, the times in your life, the top five times in your life, when you felt like you were the most you mm. and maybe the bottom five worst experiences you've had. Now, if you, if you then unpack those a little bit, the top five things that were, you felt like you were most you, like what was being expressed? Oh, I was able to be creative or I felt loved or I felt honored. And the things that were horrible in my life, it's like, oh, well, I, let's pick one. I, I got fired. Okay, well, what was the value that got stepped on? Well, I wasn't able to provide for my family. Hmm. Or I got picked on as a kid. Well, what was the value that got stepped on? Oh, I didn't feel loved. These, these are how we get to our values. Think about the times when you're really on it and times when it felt terrible. And at the root of those things are your values. Hmm. So you do a mindfulness practice every day. Are there any other things that you do on a consistent basis that you feel like keep you in line with feeling happy, fulfilled, and doing the things that are, that you know you should be doing? Great question. Um, I think there's the base. So for me, there's the basics, Mm -hmm. you know, sleep, eat, (laughs) exercise, Right. I know that if, uh, and for me, that's, uh, I bike, I mountain bike, I road bike. Uh, if I'm not out on the bike two or three days a week, uh, I start getting cranky, you know, and I, I notice it. Mm-hmm. If I don't eat the right foods, I find that I'm very sensitive to sugars and, you know, caffeine. 
and so I'll feel cranky about that. And then I won't sleep. And if I don't get enough sleep. So, so there are real basics, like these things are real and, and everybody hears them all the time, but they're real. If you put in the work, you got to put in the work on sleep, eat, exercise. Uh, and then for me about feeling fulfilled is there's some creativity as well. So like having some time to create. And for me, that happens in a number of different ways. Uh, it happens with music, taking the time just on a daily basis to grab my guitar and just play a song or two in between Zoom calls now. It can happen with adventure. I like to travel. You know, I like to go learn new things I haven't before and do things that put me outside my comfort zone a little bit. Mm. Um, and just being with people, I, I am, uh, I'm an ambivert, but I'm an introvert on the, here's how I recharge scale. Um, but if I find myself too much introverted and not having that connection that, that gets me as well. So I have to be conscious about scheduling time to go hike with a friend or have dinner with some friends and just really have some great conversations with the people that I love to, to recharge a bit. Mm. So it all goes back to knowing ourselves and then making sure we take action on behalf of ourselves. Final question for you. How do we hold ourselves accountable to doing that? Or do, or should we have someone else hold us accountable Uh, to doing those things? There's a, I love this quote by James Clear. He wrote the book Atomic Habits. So if you want to know how to keep a habit, read James Clear. That's, that's the best right now. But he says, I'll paraphrase a bit, our lives do not rise to the level of our goals. They fall to the level of our systems. Hmm. Our lives do not rise to the level of our goals. They fall to the level of our systems. Meaning, look, I'm 50-ish years old. I've got inertia, 50 years of inertia behind me. If I don't do something differently, nothing will change. Mm-hmm. Now, that's true if I'm 22 as well. Um, so you got to put a system in place. So here are some systems. So if I want, as an example, a meditation practice, a system could be have a special time of the day and a special place you do it. So I wake up, I set the alarm. That's one system. I go outside and sit under my tree. That's another system. You know, make it a different thing. If I'm just relying on random me thinking about it, it's never going to happen, right? Or using a tool like Headspace or Insight Timer, that's a system. You can keep a streak. I also really like the accountability buddy, mm-hmm. you know, so I use, I've used accountability buddies for lots of things right now. I have an accountability buddy for pushups. <laughs> so every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, my buddy and I text each other back and forth, you know, with encouragement or sometimes some gentle teasing, but always, <laughs> always <Me>. supportive. <laughs> and in 2021, I don't think I've missed a day yet. I might've missed one day. For sure, it's not more than one day. But for sure, there's been times where it's time for bed and my buddy, I see his text at whatever, 10 o'clock. I'm like, oh, and I'll go do my pushups, even though it's the worst time of day to go do pushups. I'll go do them because I'm totally committed to, you know, our relationship. It's a silly thing, but it totally works. So find a buddy to help keep yourself accountable. Those are great. I would agree with all of those and can already think of some, I need to start implementing myself (laughs) for, for staying on track. Scott, tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, where they can get your book, the full body. Yes. And all of the good things. Cool. Well, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. 
you can also find, <laughs> of course, that's where you can find like the daily stuff going on. I'm leading daily meditations kind of all over the internet. Awesome. You can find out more about my book at thefullbodyyes.com. The name of the title is The Full Body Yes. You can buy it wherever good books are found. If you want to support your local bookstore, look, you can order it anywhere, but bookshop.org and pick your local bookstore and the, you can buy it online, but the money goes back to your local bookstore. And I think that's a cool, a cool, cool thing that I recently learned. That's really cool. We'll have the links to all of those in the show notes as well. So people can easily access all the things, including bookshop. I'm going to have to check that out more. Yeah for the books that I buy. Scott, this has been so good. Thank you so much for joining and sharing all of these amazing things. I have no doubt the listeners are going to love every minute of it. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Here are my key takeaways from today's conversation with Scott Shute. The first one is that mindfulness can seem like that thing that is difficult to do, kind of ethereal, We know we should, but it's difficult to do it or just to keep doing it. And so what I love about the way that Scott talked about mindfulness is as follows. I loved when he said, mindfulness allows us to be more aware of ourselves, which then allows us to be more mindful of others. We know when we have a strong why behind why we do things, we are more likely to stick to them. And for me, mindfulness typically is difficult because I need to do it at times that I'm busy or I don't want to. And it seems like something that's not going to be productive in the moment. But for me, thinking about mindfulness in this way and how it allows me to be more aware of others and therefore a more compassionate person actually makes me want to do it more because I know I need more of that in my life. It definitely is a a direct correlation with emotional attraction. So that is incredibly powerful. My second key takeaway from today's episode is this concept of micro compassions and how there are small things that we can do to show compassion, that we care about other people, that we wish the best for them, and that we want to take positive action on their behalf. Things like listening, like building connection, talking to the person in line with you at the grocery store, getting to know them, giving compliments. All of these things are micro compassion, small things that we can do that make a big difference on a daily basis. The final key pies takeaway that I had from today's conversation is all about knowing what your values are and making your decisions and priorities in life based on that. It reminds me of that story of the man who lived down in the Caribbean and just decided at 30 years old that he was going to stop working and he was just going to fish all day, live off of the tiny amount of retirement that he had and live a pretty simple life. And people would come down and they would visit him or they would see him on, you know, people who live next to him. And they would say, why are, why aren't you working? Why aren't you doing more? And he would say, If I was working now, all I would be doing would be saving money for retirement so that one day I could sit here and fish and not have to do anything else. He said, why not just cut to the chase and start doing what I love now? I'm not necessarily recommending that you quit your job and move to the Bahamas and just become a fisherman all day, but I do think that there are parts of this that we can start implementing now in our daily life. A lot of times we think when I retire or when this happens or when that happens and we put things way far off, how can we take parts of that and bring them here and now? Even if it means that we stop striving for success or wealth or fame or whatever that might look like, maybe that's not actually what our values are. 
That's just what we are distracted with when actually our values are the things like family, connection, adventure, travel, giving back, investing in the community. So how can we be doing more of what our values are here and now? I hope today's episode was amazing for you. Stay strong. People ask me all the time, Kimberly, which area of my pies should I focus on first? And the answer to that question is the one where you need to see the most growth. So how do you know which area that that is? That is why I have created an attraction assessment. This free assessment is designed to help you learn what areas of attraction you should be working and focusing on first. Every area is important, but there is likely a specific area that is lowest for you and that you should focus on working on first, because by working on the one that is the lowest and bringing that up, you will automatically start feeling better about yourself and be more attractive to the people in your life. Take the assessment to learn which area to prioritize. As you go through the assessment, you'll be able to rate yourself in every area. And then at the end, you will see which area is your lowest and which areas you are already kicking butt in because you're definitely going to have some of those as well. This will be the foundation of your journey to becoming a more attractive person to your spouse, to your boyfriend or girlfriend, to your friends and family, but most of all, to yourself. Click the link in the show notes to take the free assessment today. Friends, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember to follow It Starts With Attraction anywhere you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. The more positive reviews we get, the more positive change we can make for relationships and for individuals around the world. For show notes, updates, and the opportunity to join our email list for encouraging weekly strategies for you to become the best that you can be in all areas of your pies, go to piesuniversity.com. Again, that is piesuniversity.com. Keep working on your pies and always remember it starts with attraction. Attraction.